We know that you want more Heal Well in your life, so I'm here with some good news. If you want more Heal Well in your life, I've got two options for you. The first is to join our new interdisciplinary online, so far from Facebook, I can't even talk about it, group. Uh, It is the Heal Well community, and it is all kinds of practitioners from all different disciplines talking about a lot of the same stuff and what it's like to be a caregiver and how to do that more kindly, more sustainably. We're talking about racism. We're talking about research. We're talking about science, COVID, you name it. So come join the Heal Well community in Mighty Networks by going to community.healwell.org. It is a subscription-based group, $9.99 a month or $99.99 for the year. Come and see what we're posting, see what we're talking about, and share some stuff that's important to you and become part of the conversation. Also, you can totally get on board with the Heal Well Love Run. It's our first annual virtual 10K. We've already got some people signed up who are collecting pledges. You can pledge one of those people or you can set up your very own page. Two great things. You don't have to run. You can do anything you want. You can walk. You can hop. You can skip. You can swim. You can scoot. Uh, Any other way that you want to locomote yourself and you have a whole week to do that 10K, which 10K, by the way, is barely more than six miles. Not much. If you do like a mile a day, a little more than that, you're good to go. You've got October 25th to October 30th to actually log your 10K, and you can put it out there in the world, ask your friends, ask your family. They can pledge you by the K, and all that money goes to help heal well, do amazing things that make a better world for massage therapists and humans all over the planet. Thanks for the heal well love. We love you right back. Hello, I'm Cal Cates, Executive Director of Heal Well, where we make massage therapy matter. And I am Kathy Ryan here in British Columbia, Canada, major Heal Well fangirl. And this is Massage Therapy Without Borders, the podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice, regulation, and education. We bring on super fancy guests who are informed to not only discuss these issues, but to formulate and share some possible solutions to move us forward. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Actually, even if you don't like us, we want like legit reviews. So if you don't like us, um, we hope you'll <laughs> tell us first, but uh, tell the world as well. And uh, we are very responsive. So we want to hear what you want to know about uh, so we can keep making this show about you and for you. So go like us on the Facebook and the Twitter and the social medias all over the place. Tell your friends, tell your pets. Uh, Let's build our listenership. So uh, as you know, we often start the show. In fact, every time we start the show with a pun of some kind. And uh, last week we got some good feedback that people were enjoying the, um, I can't remember what I I did last week, but it was a a physiological pickup line. And I thought that, in uh, in light of COVID, even though we're not really taking people's temperatures, um, I thought this was a good one that you could you could say to anybody. Can I take your temperature? You look hot today. <laughs> right? Oh, oh my! Don't say that to your clients or your patients. Oh, this please, is not practice. By not right. Uh, so, Kathy, what's uh, what's happening? Did you guys figure everything out with COVID in Canada, and you're like COVID free and rocking it? Mm, no. <laughs> All right, then. What's the status? No, no, sadly, we did not. Uh, numbers are climbing. Uh, Quebec, the province of Quebec, their numbers are they're reaching some all-time highs. Ontario's right behind them. BC, we're not doing a whole lot better. Uh, so, yeah, we are what everyone is describing as officially in our second second wave here with COVID. So just hoping that people will start to be a little bit more careful with regard to gathering and big groups and covering, not covering faces and should be covering faces in indoor spaces. Yeah, covering faces in indoor spaces. Um, yeah, we, we see a lot of, I went for a bike ride this morning um, and um, lots of people wearing masks on their bikes um, and sort of out jogging and stuff, which, you know, I, I was saying to my partner um, as we biked together and I said, you know, I'm glad people are wearing masks, but the fact that they're wearing masks while they're riding their bikes or running makes me feel like maybe they don't totally understand 
the situation, but um, I'd rather you overwear than underwear yeah. your mask. I said <laughs> underwear. <laughs> oh, you just said underwear. <laughs> I totally did. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're we're in uh, we're don't, in. The don't say that to your patient no. either. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, we're in the same crummy leaky boat here in the states. Um, we've got uh, the governor of Florida, who's really been leading the way in not paying attention um, to kind of anything, uh, has said, "You know what? Forget it. We're good. I trust businesses. It's crazy that the government should be telling businesses what to do. They know how to do their thing. So all restrictions have been lifted, and um, you know, in a couple weeks, we'll we'll look to hand the trophy to Florida." for um, spike in cases. And, um, you know, in our region, we are still, Virginia is actually doing well, uh, sort of in the national picture, but again, that's, it's a low bar. So uh, I think we're, we're still struggling. I got an email from my uh, primary care provider's office this morning saying like they are now fully open for preventive visits and things like that, which, you know, I mean, it is that that conflict that we've been talking about. There's there is being more in the media now about people who are missing routine checkups and preventive care visits and chronic disease management, and and that that is going to result in a spike in preventable illness and you know, unnecessary exacerbations in chronic conditions. So, you know, if we had some leadership at the top about how to manage this, we wouldn't be in these ethical conundrums. But here we are. So, um, and speaking of ethical conundrums, uh, as a, a good segue for our guest today, uh, friend and colleague Dawn Hogue, who is entirely too fancy for me to try to introduce her, um, but uh, so glad that Dawn is with us, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to learn about human trafficking and the intersection thereof with massage therapy and uh, why it matters uh, to us as practitioners and what we can do. And uh, as usual, get into the the stickiness of all that. So Don, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cal. I really appreciate the invitation to join you and Kathy today and have this opportunity. Every time I I kind of go for a talk or a presentation on the subject of human trafficking, you know, I have to acknowledge the awkwardness of, you know, thank you for allowing me to talk about this, you know, but <laughs> right. um, having said that, though, I think everybody can appreciate that it is a valuable topic to talk about. Definitely. I certainly find that in, in the audiences that I speak to. Um, and I, I hope that what I share with you today, as you said, gives some, maybe some insights into some aspects of, of the human trafficking um, criminal enterprise that it is that maybe doesn't come to the forefront when people think about, um, you know, the human side of it. Um, and then some great resources that I'll mention and can also follow up with you to provide for your listeners in another way that maybe they can access them easily. So great. Um, I, I also, you know, as you were starting the program and just the name of the program, Massage Therapy Without Borders, I think that's a perfect connection to this topic because it has no borders. You know, it's certainly not confined to the States or Canada. I mean, it's a worldwide issue. So again, thank you for the opportunity. Um, you say my background, I'm too fancy. That can be furthest from the truth. Um, but uh, I'll start by saying I too, as Kathy said, am a Heelwell fangirl and appreciate, you know, that we have known each other for, for, for many years now, um, through your work as a continuing ed provider and when I worked at the Casey Riley School of Massage. So um, a little bit about my background. Um, I went into the massage therapy field back in 1996. I can't believe it's been that long, um, but it's been a, a wonderful uh, progression that I feel like I've been able to have in the field and certainly giving me a, a perspective, I think that touches on almost every part of the profession from being a massage therapist, that was my sole primary vocation for many years, um, then went to work in the school, uh, school setting as a faculty member, as an administrator. Uh, I was a school director for many years. And then throughout that time also got involved in the compliance world, the regulatory world, um, got involved in some volunteer work with many of our professional associations the National Certification Board, uh, the Alliance for Massage Therapy of Education, 
uh, Federation of State Massage Therapy Boards. I'm currently the Executive Director for COMTA, the Commission on Massage Therapy Accreditation. So very much immersed in the world of educational standards and compliance. And while that hat is to the back for me today in terms of this subject, you know, it's, it's gonna come into how the regulatory community can help um, help address this issue of human trafficking and some of the holes that exist in the regulatory process that can be um, filled with some of our compliance agencies. So, um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, I also sit on the Virginia Massage Therapy Board. So again, kind of understanding uh, the regulatory perspective and from that seat, having had some direct experience with disciplinary cases related to human trafficking as recent as, you know, the end of 2019. So I'll, I'll sort of go backwards in time a little bit and share that um, when I worked on the Ethics and Standards Committee for the National Certification Board, this was back in 2008-2009, um, that was my first introduction to this idea of diploma mills and you know this issue of fraudulent school activity and how that was affecting cases that came before the ethics committee of the national certification board you know back in those days um, they were the primary um, pathway or step towards licensure with becoming nationally certified so a lot of you know cases got funneled to that committee and it was as i look back on it you know just uh again a, a the first entree into you know this issue and how pervasive it is. So um, I should also share from the ethical standpoint, I have um, a master's degree in somatic psychology from a school called Naropa University, which is in Boulder, Colorado. And that um, was a training and education that I got after I'd been a massage therapist for a number of years. So that layer definitely um, just enhanced my I think my passion for the ethical side of our profession, the therapeutic relationship side, and all of those dynamics, you know, that play into the gray area of our profession. Um, I wouldn't consider human trafficking gray area. For me, that is pretty black and white territory, but there's a lot of gray within it, you know, still. So I think, uh, you know, that's important to share too, as it relates to how I see this issue and some of what I get curious about from the human standpoint side. So um, I, uh, in 2015, I attended a training provided by an organization called the Polaris Project. And they are one of the primary resources that I often refer to in this um, presentation of this matter, subject matter. Polaris Project is you know, considered a, lead, a leader in the global fight to eradicate human trafficking. Um, modern slavery, you know, some of these terms are, you yeah. know, they, they can be provocative. So I think it's important to acknowledge that too. Yeah. Um, and then from March to December of 2016, I participated in a task force on, um, well, the task force was created by the Federation of State Massage Therapy Boards. And uh, that was also a, a significant part of my understanding of this issue the opportunity to research it in more detail, talk with other colleagues about it. And um, I'll reference that task force experience, you know, quite a bit here in my talk. Yeah, well, and I'll say for our, our listeners who are not from the US that for us, uh, well, for one thing, I want to acknowledge, Kathy, I really, I commend your restraint as, as Dawn made it more and more clear what a regulator she is. Kathy is a very regulator-friendly therapist and gets so excited when we get regulators on. Um, All right. <laughs> I could see her like, excellent Smithers. Now I'm officially a Don Hogue fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, uh, the FSMTB, as they're lovingly called here in the States, um, their, their main lane, and you can, you can help me tighten this if this is not uh, accurate, Don, but basically their whole responsibility is to maintain um, public safety and to ensure that therapists who are practicing are practicing within standards that will as much as possible ensure that the public who are receiving massage therapy are doing so in a safe manner. Um, That's right. Human yes. trafficking is definitely something that, you know, 
it makes sense for them to look at. Um, right. Yeah, and I want to say as well that, like so many of our guests, I feel like what is so what's so effective about you, Dawn, and and people who have the type of experience you have is that we really, I think, we advance our understanding of concerns and our ability to meaningfully affect them when we have people who you were a practitioner yourself, you were a school director, you have functioned in a variety of aspects of the profession inside and outside sort of looking in different ways. And I feel like that part of what, what stymies not only massage, but any you know, um, mission is when you have people who only know the thing that they're fighting for and it's harder to see the other side. So I feel like that broader perspective really allows you to bring something to the table when you're participating in these groups that maybe other people aren't able to bring. Dawn is what I like to refer to as the massage therapy triple threat. Yes. So <laughs> clinician, educator, and administrator, you know, someone who's wearing all those hats within the profession and as well touching on all those areas of both from the association perspective and then the regulator perspective as well. So yeah, we I don't like have gonna... too many of those. That's I know yeah. only a handful. I think I'll add that to my bio. Triple yeah. threat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> One triple threat, hog. <laughs> well, you know, uh, and I'll just kind of reiterate my, you know, heel well fangirl status. One of the things that I uh, have always appreciated about our interactions was our connection about that person experience. Mm -hmm and the attention to the person, whether it's our client or another therapist, you know, and just how we approach the profession. That it's, yes, there's a lot of technicalities involved in what we do, and especially as regulators and, and skilled technicians, but, you know, kind of the foundation under that has always been about how to treat people, you know, and so, um, again, to have this opportunity to talk with you about this really kind of, I think, fits into that whole person-centered domain as well. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've got, I've got my little talking points here. I shouldn't say they're little because some of them yeah. are long. So don't hesitate to just interrupt me, stop me. If you feel that your listeners would want to dive into a particular piece, you know, more or less, okay. I tried to, I tried to kind of frame it in this way of, you know, again, what, what my work in this in this uh, subject matter has been about, you know, bringing awareness um, about the issue, sharing common signs of how to identify it, um, and providing referrals, you know, and resources for people on how they might need to report a suspicion of some kind of fraudulent activity or suspicious business, as well as just resources for further education. So that's kind of the three sort of, um, highlights, I guess, or, or objectives, if you will, that uh, I'm yeah. bringing to the table with this. You know, you were talking about the Federation and yes, absolutely public safety is their lane. They, um, their membership is comprised of the state boards. Mm -hmm. And so almost all of the states, um, well, all of them that regulate massage, just about all of them, I'm not, I'm not a spokesperson, let me just say that, for <laughs> the Federation, um, being on the Virginia board, we are a member of the Federation, but um, I certainly don't want to misrepresent myself as, as being you know, a spokesperson for the Federation, but I really respect their work. I, I have great relationships with many of their staff members and the other state board regulators. Um, so that's important, that's a key piece because what initiated the Federation, FSMTB, to create their task force was what's called a resolution by one of their state boards. So this a particular state board asked for this. They recognized an issue. And this particular state board, I would call them a triple threat, Kathy, because unlike many states, they have their school approvals and their licensures and their, um, their business approvals all under one umbrella. Whereas in many states, that's kind of parsed out and siloed out. And so I think this particular state from that perspective could really see like, oh, there's, there's some threads here and yeah. we need this to be, you know, looked into. And so their resolution was, you know, um, for the Federation to create this task force that would help determine the prevalence of human trafficking 
um, and identify some measures that could be pursued to, um, you know, to curtail it, hopefully eliminate it, um, and then present their findings, which they did at uh, a meeting in 2016. So again, I was involved in that task force, and it was members from several state boards, staff members. We all kind of took a part in doing research, compiling data, providing recommendations that were then put forward to all of the member boards. Um, they, they created a really comprehensive and um, well, well produced report that's available. Uh, members of the public can request it. Um, it's available on the Federation's website and members of state boards all received it. So it was publicly distributed. Um, you know, circling back to identifying human trafficking, naming it, and some of the provocative language, as Polaris in their mission states, it is a form of modern slavery. And we're talking specifically with human trafficking about human sex trafficking in the yeah. massage industry, right? So a lot of the education is also identifying that human trafficking can be um, in many industries not just massage, but in massage, it, it comes into play in terms of that human sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, well, and if I could, Don, when you, it's, it's interesting that I appreciate you using the word provocative. And I, I just want to, and tell me if this is not accurate, but what you mean is true and accurate. I mean, it's, it's provocative because we're used to hedging and sort of using euphemisms to describe things that make us uncomfortable, but this is sex slavery. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's provocative because yeah. people go, oh, well, that's, ooh, I, I feel right. things when you say right. that. <laughs> right. It's just right. True. Yeah. It provokes that, that kind of reaction. Yes. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, and it's uh, one of those things that should. You yes. Know, this this yes. is not an issue to be softened. Right. Right. Yeah. right. yeah. I mean, when, I mean, that word slavery obviously carries connotations that, I recognize and probably far beyond what I am really, you know, uh, sensitive to. But, you know, that that idea of sex trafficking 20 million people across the world, slavery like that, you know, one of the things that comes to light in this subject is often the fact that the women who are being trafficked and that are being put forward as massage therapists often are the ones that get their pictures plastered on the evening news, you know, when there's a, an arrest or a bust or, and, and you know, they're the, victim. I, they're the <laughs> victims, right? Like I want to acknowledge again, it's complex and there's complexities, yeah. you know, people say, well, how would they let themselves get into that situation? And they know what they're, you know, I mean, I've heard that, you know, but they are the victims. They are the victims. And having seen, what I know for a fact without them having to say it right in front of me at a Virginia nursing board meeting lets me see clearly that they are a victim. Yeah. So um, the other, I think, provocative, um, and as you said, should elicit a strong reaction is that it's organized crime. Yeah. It's a network of organized crime. And it's a I mean, it's a pervasive network that, like I said, you know, I was introduced to this idea of diploma mills, um, which is, I guess, one of, you know, one of the starting points for it, you know, so part of the crime organization is that a front is established that looks like a school or could present themselves on paper to be a school and create paper documents that look like a school transcript or an educational record. And um, that's presented to a licensing board. And so within that organization of crime, there is also the side business of um, practicing to take the test. And so there's the side over here that's creating the false credentials. There's the side over here that's training women to memorize questions. Um, there are people that go in to take tests and purposely fail so that they can, you know, be exposed to the test again and again and again. There's even activity that um, people, you know, might take a hidden camera in while they're taking a test to, 
you know, take snapshots of questions and, and again, you know, harvest questions in a way that they can help women. And I, I'm referring mostly to women, you know, I, I, not to disregard yeah, yeah. the fact that men um, and children of, of, of um, all genders are, are trafficked, victims of trafficking. But uh, in, this, in this case, I'm gonna refer mostly to the women. So just to acknowledge that as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, the criminal enterprise starts there with the false way to get a license and then the whole aspect of the businesses, the network of businesses that exist to house, literally, be a home for the women and the place where they provide services. I'll avoid using the word work, um, yeah. where they provide their services. And so those are what is termed illicit massage businesses, IMBs. You know, when you do some data research, you'll come across that acronym and illicit massage business. You know, and I'll, I'll pause right there because that is also a provocative statement within our profession. Um, you know, when this report was introduced by the Federation, there, there was a mixed response. You know, there was a response from many people in the field, educators, um, professional associations that applauded their work, you know, recognized the value, the importance of bringing light to this issue. And there were some of our professional um, organizations, our professional partners that kind of didn't want to really directly endorse or, or formally publicly support um, the report. And I think a lot of it has to do with that illicit massage business and, and sort of a perspective that professional massage is not illicit and to even, even reference massage in with illicit is like counterproductive to the decades of work that the profession has done, right, to advance itself. And I understand that. And so I, um, I have a different opinion, but, you know, I respect I respect their, you know, um, Deflection. their choice. Yeah, their choice <laughs> to take their. Yeah. yeah. Well, Deflection. I think, I mean, so, yeah. you point to an important thing because I, I think that, um, you know, one of the statements that was so upsetting to me that came out sort of from various organizations in the profession was, this is not a massage issue. It's a, it's a law enforcement issue. Right. And, right. You know, this is this is a place where massage and law enforcement need to work together. But to say that this is not a massage issue, and I mean, you talk about diploma mills and how that yeah. figures into the picture, and it it just seemed really it seemed like what our profession, in some ways, is doing. Let's say about racism. Oh, that's not in our lane. I don't. You know, this is not a thing that we really. This seems messy. You know, and and I think that much like with racism, we are we are seeking out people who are past the point of debating whether this is a problem. You know, it, it seemed like the profession wanted to say, well, how serious is it? And it's like, it's this serious. You know, I mean, there's the, the report is not equivocating. It's right. super clear. And, and certainly that's part of what was upsetting to people is like, oh, you know, we're definitely <laughs> complicit here. Oh, we didn't mean to be, but right. um, yeah. So what do we do now? Yeah. Well, and whether we like it or not, our, our word is being used, yeah, massage. Right. Yes. Right. So, I mean, we and we can look at that from a variety of different angles. There's been a lot of conversation and debate around, should we still be calling ourselves massage therapists? Because inherent in that word massage comes with some sticky, messy issues. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and it is, you know, because there is, whether it's direct or indirect, there is a line connecting to our profession, you know, and, and, you just want to touch on the accreditation of schools piece, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I have fought for that here in Canada, that we have a strong accreditation organization. That's one of the ways to perhaps help to, um, you, you know, work with this issue to, to make this issue as, or make this less of an issue that, you know, there are those unscrupulous individuals out there who are you know, trying to get their people to go and take exams. Well, you can't do that here in BC unless you have graduated from an accredited or approved school by the regulator. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hear the sort of the, uh, opposing voices. I hear a lot of supporting voices to accreditation. Don't let me, you know, um, give a wrong impression, but, you know, I often hear the, well, why should I, you know, if it's not required, why should I? And I, I always like to draw the comparison between ethical practice management as a massage therapist. It's important to have good boundaries, right? And, and clear, like that, that clear ethical structure protects the therapist, it protects the client. I, you know, maybe I'm a, an outlier in the uh, accreditation world. I don't think so, but I think that accreditation serves that same protective purpose. It's not a, you have to do it this way, you know, like uh, compliance, but it's a, here's a structure that will help support your school operation um, that supports your students. And then as they become professionals that, you know, helps to write, not legitimize, but add recognition to the public for the legitimacy of the credential. There I say, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> you say, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes, yes, thank you. I mean, it really, um, especially, like I mentioned with that one state board that had all of those moving parts under their umbrella, there, there are even within a state agency that's got a good approval body and and maybe does require accreditation there's still some holes there you know that again you know maybe one compliance entity could help fulfill you know and and in that ways would also help minimize the opportunity for infiltration of of um, you know fraudulent activity yeah so you know the the IMB's fake massage business that was probably a at least a month's worth of discussion on the task force, you I know, bet. just like the terminology that was being used. And again, the sensitivity, I think my response to that report and some of the pushback against it was also like, gosh, well, I participated on that task force and I know firsthand the efforts that went into being mindful and thoughtful of the words that were used, doing um, diligent research, you know, and providing evidence, you know, we're also about evidence in our profession and the value of evidence-based work. And um, that was a very important um, aspect of that task force process as well, was making sure that we had evidence and data to back up the recommendations that were provided. Yeah. So can you, I don't know if this is something that you can do from your experience so far, but can you, is there a somewhat typical progression like how does a person who becomes trafficked, like what are the steps that lead to this person becoming a provider of services in, a, in an IMB? Yeah, so, and again, I'm kind of going to refer to the stereotype, the general. I mean, there's always different situations, but the, the general situation is that it's someone who comes from a foreign country. And uh, so they likely pay money to come into the country, they pay large sums of money to receive the fake diploma and to be required to study for the exam. And so um, part of what they're required to do is then go to work in an establishment. And so again, like that organized network is already in place where when they come over, and you know, they're, they're coming into the States might be under false pretenses. Uh, I think generally speaking, they're not informed that they're going to be required to pretend to be a massage therapist and perform you know, sexual services on people. I think it's often under the guise of um, housekeeping, other types of maybe personal services mm -hmm. that they might think they're going to do. Um, uh, and, and then when they're here, you know, they find out that, uh, okay, you know, I'm, <laughs> well, let me pause there and say, sadly, I think many of them, it's hard to know what they're told because there is a language barrier. And um, in the cases that I've seen directly, it, it, it does not seem clear to the person who's being trafficked that it's wrong to you know, ask a man if he wants, uh, you know, a happy ending, you know, we, we hear that terminology and, you know, sometimes it's like a ah, happy ending, but, you know, when you, 
when you learn of this subject, you can't really ha 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 that anymore. You know, you realize like that's, that is horrible, horrible. That's, yeah, that's, that's abuse, that's slavery. It's all of the horrible words and adjectives that we want to use about that. But I don't yeah. think, yeah, I don't yes. think they know that's what's going to be expected. How, how do we laugh about the exploitation of any vulnerable human? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't. It, it, it's tragic. It's not. It's the furthest thing from humorous, for sure. Well, and I think, you know, you, you were talking about how, you know, people often say, and I think this is just one of the millions of ways that when we don't want to feel what we're feeling, we deflect, but where many people will say, well, they knew what they were getting into, etc. And I, I feel, again, very much like racism. We, we assume that these people have the same choices that we have. And that when they make those choices, they have a whole menu of possible options. And they may, quote, know what they're getting into, but what they are in already is possibly just as terrible. And Mm -hmm. so they don't really have choices. They're sort of squeaking from one terrible situation into another one. And that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. And, you know, they're, they have nowhere to live. You know, they have no other contacts or networks of support here in the state. So, you know, they're coming into a very insulated situation where, yeah, they, this, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what I have to do. Sometimes there might even be a situation that family members back where they have, um, in the country where they came from might be under threat. I mean, there's, that's the really um, criminal, you know, another aspect of the criminal activity is that, you know, are they coerced here? Are they threatened to come to the United States to do this, you know, because of a debt maybe that's been incurred by their family? You know, it almost sounds like, yeah, something that you'd see in a movie, but sadly it is true, you know, that that is the reality for for many of them. And and I, I also think that they, are just maybe not aware again that that kind of um, sexual activity is. <sighs> I hear the I hear the you know conflict. Like I I don't think they know it's wrong. I think they know it's not right. It's questionable, but I don't know if they know it's illegal. Yeah. Right. I you know because there they are. You know, there's massage up on the building you know, and so it's not hidden away, like in a motel room somewhere, you know, this is out in the open, and you can come in 24-7, and you pay a service, so I think there's a lot of factors that on the surface might seem to the victim like it's legit, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's clearly still a position of um, abuse, and an abuse of authority and, um, you know, control and yeah. Well, and it really comes down to the exploitation piece. You know, there, there may be people out there in the world who make a conscious choice, not under duress, right. You know, uh, to, to engage in some particular type of service that has a sexual element to it. Um, and, and if that is the case that they have, it's full consent, informed consent, let's say. Um, but we're, we're talking about incredibly vulnerable individuals who are being exploited here. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and I, I feel like it's, a, it's an important place to, you know, as we are really, I think so many of us getting more specific about our language and the various ways that we um, support prejudice and discrimination that, you know, I feel like it, it I, I can't wait for the hate mail about this, but it gives sex work a bad name. You know, that there is a legitimacy to, to prostitution and to sex in, and our culture is so bad at being comfortable with just sex in general. And that then we add these sort of things that aren't fully understood and that are presented in these sort of stereotypical ways. And it makes it that much harder for us to just be comfortable with ourselves, with sexual interactions, with the intimacy of massage that is not happening in IMBs. Um, and I wonder, so when we talk about, I mean, I think there's so much we can do in massage schools to educate, um, like what are, what are the things, what can we do in the profession as individuals and certainly from like a regulatory standard that would make a meaningful difference in this? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you're doing it right now, you know, one thing, which is just bringing awareness and, and educating the public consumers, professionals, you know, all of us about the issue that it does exist, that it's not just in the movies or TV or, you know, in Florida with the NFL guy, you know, right. Right. it exists and it's probably in your city, you know, yes. maybe not even far away from where you live. So I think just continued and continual education, um, recognition about some of the common signs of yeah. an illicit business, mm-hmm. which, you know, do um, include like a business that has its windows covered, mm-hmm. a business that is open 24 seven or you know, until 11 midnight, you know, odd hours that fall outside of a normal you know, business um, establishment. Um, if there is you know, a specific gender referenced as you know, all, all oh, female, no. all mm-hmm. Asian, you know, whatever it might be, those are, I think some um, significant signs as well as video cameras, you know? So if you notice that there's this business that has windows covered, neon sign 24 seven and a video camera outside. I mean, I know video cameras are, are not that uncommon anymore, but those are, you know, that, that's a trifecta of, hmm, I think I might call my local law enforcement and just ask them if they yeah. you know, check into that, that place, you know? Mm-hmm. so whether you're a consumer or a professional massage therapist, I think it is within our purview to um, draw law enforcement's attention to establishments that we think might be questionable or illicit. That's one thing we can do. So educating ourselves on what those look like. Um, another thing that uh, often happens in those businesses is there might be one license posted, but yet there are six people working there, right? And okay. so I know it's, you know, sometimes our own therapists get muddled and confused about what we're required to post and not, but I think it's important to educate the public about, yes, you should see a a professional therapist license posted, a license number, um, you know, what board they're licensed with. Those are some key credentials. I think educating the public about those key credentials that they can ask about when they go to get a massage. So do you have a license? What is the licensing board? When did you get it? Where did you go to school? You know, I mean, that's, that's okay for public consumers to, you know, interview their therapists and, you know, explore and find out that they are indeed going to someone who um, is, is a professional, is licensed. Um, I think, I think, I think it's important to incorporate it into ethics curriculum mm-hmm. in um, massage therapy schools and for continuing ed approved providers. And especially I think from that crux of those are victims. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, yes, they are misrepresenting our credential, um, but but really exploring what that involves, you know, and and, and seeing it, like you said, more than just from the one perspective, you know, trying to, trying to um, recognize the complexity of it. So I think, again, just awareness of, um, I'm being redundant now, but the establishments, understanding the criminal enterprise that's related to it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, again, it's that sticky territory and ethics of sex, touch, and intimacy. And, yeah. um you know, this might be for another podcast, but as I was going through the task force, I couldn't help but, you know, that psychology mind, like, yeah, what, what is that? Why? Some people know what they're going for when they go to that establishment. And what is that? Yeah. Yeah. And and why would, why is there, um, I shouldn't say why, what, what is that all about? You know, the connection and the disconnection. Mm-hmm. Sex, touch, and intimacy, and the distinction between professional therapeutic services um, from, you know, sexual services. I mean, we teach our children about good touch, bad touch, you know. Right. But what what understanding does the general public have about uh, about that? And you know, um, I think that would be an interesting subject to explore in an ethics class, not necessarily with any expected outcome 
but yeah. just a, an exploration of what are our opinions? What are our biases? What are our judgments about that? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I, and you can tell me if this is still true, but when I got my license in Virginia, uh, I don't know, 17-ish years ago, uh, the way the the regulation read was that as long as you didn't call yourself a massage therapist or say that what you are doing is massage therapy, you could hang out your shingle. You could call it body massage. You could call it whatever you want. And then you didn't fall under the board of nursing and the regulatory requirements for massage therapy. And so I think particularly about where we are here, I know that you know, you go up the road a little bit to Annandale and there's a, a very strong Asian community there and you can go and get a massage that makes you feel like you're in Thailand. And mm -hmm. there are people there who I know are not regulated as massage therapists. And there's a very big part of me that says like, you came from Thailand with this amazing healing tradition that a lot of people enjoy. And why should you have to learn another modality within this discipline to be able to practice but I think that's one of the things that in our big melting pot country probably makes regulation difficult because we don't want to, we don't want everyone to assimilate, but we also don't want to leave these little Swiss cheese holes for shady business. And, you know, if I, if I see a massage practice that has signs written all in another language, I don't want that to be a red flag for me, like, mm -hmm. because that doesn't necessarily mean it's shady, you know, and, right. but that is definitely a place where these kinds of businesses hide and it makes it difficult as, I mean, even as not a provider, just as a person in the public, I wouldn't go to that place because I, I wouldn't know how to communicate or, you know, and like you said, if you are looking for one of these IMBs, even though you probably, if you're a consumer there, you don't know to call it that. <laughs> right. I feel like when, you know, it's like when people say like, hey, where can I get some weed? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> but if you're a person who gets weed, you know who and what to look for, right? And so you notice stuff that I don't notice. Right. So yeah, how do we, you know, um, and I don't know that you have a, a succinct answer, but I feel like these are the questions that come up. I want to be a part of stopping this. And I also don't want to call the police every day and be like, so this looks shady. Right, right, yeah. exactly. And, you know, it does kind of fall into that you know, it's a law enforcement issue, right? Because if they if, if they are outside of the regulatory arm of a licensing board, then yeah, there is no action a licensing board can take, you know? However, you know, that kind of brings to light the question again, well, what if our licensing board also licensed massage establishments? Therein, you My know, could question. be a way, yeah. Therein could be a way that the licensing board for the professional credential could have some effect and some impact on those establishments. You know, so um, I think you know another important way that massage therapists and members of the public can um, support the curtailing of it is with some advocacy. Mm -hmm. You know, and and being willing to advocate for a more efficiently organized um, regulatory system that does help, um, you know, close these gaps that exist. And um, when you were talking, you know, I thought to myself, like, yeah, I, I can see where people might say, you know what, if, if, if he wants to go into that place, like, no harm, no foul, what does it matter to me? But Kathy, it goes back to what you said about it's exploitation, Definitely. you know, it's slavery going on in there. And so that yeah. should matter to yeah. people. Yeah, I agree. I don't want to call the police every day either, but you know, I, I guess that's where we all have to kind of just find the line of where is, you know, where is, I don't want to say enough is enough, but you know, if I know what's going on in there, am I just going to look away yeah. or, or am I going to take some action and yeah. Well, and, and for me, you know, whether I'm a massage therapist or not, it comes down to I am diametrically opposed to the exploitation of human beings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the plant, the planet too, but that's another, another. Yeah, right, that's right. right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah. I, I feel like this is like so many of the seemingly intractable problems in our world where there are people who feel drawn to wanting to stem it right right where it is like where it's happening i want this shop closed down but there's yeah. so many ways that those of us who feel nervous scared uncomfortable about involving ourselves there there's a lot of work to be done upstream 
you know, I know that they're certainly within the massage profession and of the US citizens who are trafficked, many of them come through the foster system, yes. uh, come through social services where people in those roles in those agencies could be doing more to educate and provide support so that they become less susceptible to being trafficked. Yes. So yes. I think there are lots of, it's one of those things where I, I feel like I, I must be getting older because I keep saying, I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but <laughs> um, you know, the, we're, we can plant the seeds today that That's right. in 20 years, this is a thing that doesn't happen because we're doing the things that prevent the situations that make this an easy solution, both for the criminals and for the people who are trafficked. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and people, I mean, any of us professionals and, and consumers can volunteer for organizations, you know, like the Polaris Project, they have a hotline that's manned 24 seven. And so they rely on volunteers, you know, to help support their efforts. Um, if, if there are, you know, community events that are about raising awareness and advocacy, that's how people can get involved and, and support, um, you know, again, bringing attention to the issue. And like you just said, um, I don't say in my lifetime, but I, I, I know and I recognize, and I think that was a part of the task force work too, was coming to a place to acknowledge and accept that there is no easy fix. There is no quick fix, right? It's not an issue that, okay, here's what you do. There, done. There's no easy button on this. It's it's a continual. Um, it's something that needs continual attention because, yeah. So I might go down the street and get that shop closed down, but that owner, you know, has got another shop in the strip mall three miles away, and he's yeah. just, you know, they're going to move everybody oh, over terrorism. there. You kill one leader, there's three more pop up. Uh, yeah. Down the street. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, there is definitely just some continued vigilance required. And that's where um, I think having a good relationship, this is what came up in the task force as well, having a good relationship with law enforcement um, is really important so that they um, understand the exploitation and the criminal activity and understand that those women that they are removing from that establishment really aren't the victims, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and really helping to educate, you know, them as well. So, well, that, and that's such an important piece about the whole whole educational component um, of out there in the broader community. I'll give a really quick example of myself in practice. Many many years ago, um, had a, a a patient who was in law enforcement, and uh, at that time there were massage parlors uh, were part of the issue in the community that I was living at the time, and there was a, a collection of two or three massage parlor businesses that were owned by uh, two and like the same two individuals. Um, and this particular patient of mine, um, I remember driving into work that morning and I heard on the radio that there had been a bust, that it had been an investigation that had been going ongoing for months and they had busted these uh, massage parlors and uh, you were going after the owners of these massage parlors. And then later that day, this particular patient who was in law enforcement came into my practice and um, you know, disclosed to me that they were the lead on that task force. Mm. to to bust that organization and mm. and it was pretty obvious to me that he was he was giving me that information because he, you know his interaction with me over many years as a patient of mine had an influence you know I'm not saying that he went after this he, you know it was a task force but he's like I want to be the lead on that task force yeah you know and he made it a real point to let me know I I wanted to bring that down because it first of all it's a criminal operation uh, and secondly, because it reflects poorly on the massage therapy, yeah. the legitimacy of the massage therapy profession. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. and I think it's important to remember too, you know, we, we say like, well, if we can, if we have a massage establishment license, for instance, or if we regulate this or we regulate that. And, and, you know, I'm thinking about, um, I don't know if anybody remembers that movie back to school with Rodney Dangerfield, but uh <laughs> He's, you know, he's, he's teaching a business class and he's like, well, this budget is crap because you got to pay the, you know, you got to grease the palms of the local blah, blahs and you got to pay the hootie hoos and, you know, like legitimate business is a lot of illegitimacy. And, and mm -hmm. I, I think that so many of the serious issues of exploitation and lack of equity and things come down to individual people in roles who see things happening that shouldn't be, who don't say anything. 
and that there are regulators who are allowing people to buy permits, even though they know that what they're doing isn't cool because those people are willing to pay twice as much or they're willing to give them free massage or, you know, and, and there are people they work with who see that happening and who aren't speaking up. And I think whatever your role, if you see things happening that you know are wrong, we have to be willing to, to risk whatever it is that you imagine you're risking by standing up for humanity. And whether you're a regulator or a law enforcement professional or a massage school owner, there are probably places where you're turning a blind eye, where you yeah. could even just hold your ground and make right. a huge difference. Right, right. St stand up for humanity, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And right. yes, I just said, damn it. Why is it so hard? <laughs> the Canadian said, damn it. Do you see what's happening, people? Yeah. And I didn't mean to suggest, Kathy, that corruption happens in Canada, because I know it doesn't. But in America, there's... <laughs> Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. You know, I keep coming back to the just, you know, just education, but that just that's huge. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where it yeah. starts. Like, yeah, just put a, a, an hour in your ethics curriculum, you know, to to make students aware that, hey, this this exists like that could be pivotal for someone in terms of how they hold themselves as a professional and and how they're tuned in to what yeah. could be going on, you know. Um, well, and when we're talking about that hour, that it's not a, it's not a worksheet. It's not a, it's like call Polaris and see if they have a guest speaker who is a person who's been trafficked, who can come into your school and say, this is what happened to me. I am yeah. a person who didn't know what was happening or who did know, but had no idea it was gonna be that bad or like, yeah. cause I think this is the thing is that we keep pushing the peas around the plate with cultural competency and all of these yeah. topics that really could, make meaningful change in our prioritizing humanity, but we go, oh, well, we only have 30 minutes or we only have whatever. And right. so look, I did this cool worksheet and people will totally understand the, the pyramid of human trafficking. It's like, well, that's maybe not gonna drive it home quite the way we need to. <laughs> so we have okay. to be creative about this. Stop pushing the peas around the plate. That's the next t-shirt. That's right, it's the next t-shirt. Quit pushing the peas around the plate. <laughs> and overwear, don't underwear. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> uh, well, this is a really obviously complex topic. And maybe when we when we hop off, Dawn, you'll say, I have this whole list of things that we didn't get to talk about or that our listeners will say, what about this? What about that? Um, but I feel like it's a lot to take in. Um, and we've covered some bases here. Um, are there are there things that you really wish that we that you want to say before we close today's episode at least um, about this issue? Um, well, I, I do think we covered all well most of the important bases. I'd be happy to come back and and you know talk with you again or provide any information offline that would be helpful. I think I'd like to leave the listeners with. Uh, uh, reassurance that there are a lot of people in the profession who care and are making efforts to um, bring attention to the issue, to protect the public, and to ensure that humans aren't exploited and taken advantage of. You know, we've talked a little bit about some of the opposing voices, but they are by far um, the minority. And the majority of people in our profession care about people. And uh, I, I think that's a, a good ending note for my contribution today. <laughs> Excellent. Kathy, anything? We care, damn it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> human trafficking, the thing that makes Canadians swear. Exactly. Right. One, uh, well, thank just you. So one much. of many. What'd you say, Kathy? One of many things. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're so glad you were with us, Don, and, and that you, you are with us uh, in the broad sense and out there uh, in the legions of people who care about humans and helping us to make that a thing that really matters every day. So um, yeah. thank you for being with us. I am still Cal Cates, Executive Director of Heal Well, where we're doing everything we can, damn it, to make massage therapy matter. And I'm still Kathy Ryan, and this has been another episode of Massage Therapy Without Borders, the podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice regulation and education in order to formulate and share solutions to move us forward. Quit pushing peas.
<laughs> so get your butt over to online.healwell.com and use your MTWB coupon to get uh, some discounts on some online education that you won't find anywhere else. Uh, go give us some reviews, throw some stars our way, teach your dog how to use Apple Podcasts, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Massage Therapy Without Borders is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. Send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L.org. And please check out our classes at healwell.org. New episodes will be available weekly via your favorite podcast app and on Healwell's Facebook page. Thanks for listening.